Welcome to The Flowered Path. As I stated in the very first episode of The Flowered Path, I intend to present both the lives and the legends of the saints. Sometimes the shows will be more like a biography, and sometimes, especially with some of the older saints, the stories take on an almost folkloric representation of their stories. These fantastic tales perhaps exaggerate, or in some cases, wholly create tales of the saints, but the themes are in harmony with the righteousness of their works. And a good folk tale is still a good tale. Many of these stories come from a medieval hagiography known as the Golden Legend, first compiled in the mid-1200s by Jacobus de Vouragin. The book was recopied and additional texts added, leading to multiple different versions of the book. Most of the short stories from this episode come from the Golden Legend and include a saint who uses a corpse as a pillow, a bilocating knight, a miracle flower grown from a dead man's mouth, a demon knight, tales of possession, and more. I bookend these stories with biographies of St. Macarius the Great and St. William of Vercelli. I incorporated the stories of St. Macarius from the Golden Legend into his biography, while St. William's biography follows a story about him taken from the Golden Legend. Before we get to these stories, though, let's check on Saints in the News. Beginning in 2023, on the first Monday in February, the Republic of Ireland will celebrate a new national holiday in honor of St. Bridget. The holiday was adopted into law after a multi-year effort led by citizen groups who see her as an icon of Irish women's leadership in the arts, learning, and religious life. St. Bridget's Feast Day on February 1st has been observed in Irish culture for hundreds of years going back to the 7th century in the Kildare region of Ireland. Crosses made from rushes on this day are believed to protect homes from illness, fire, and evil spirits. Other traditional festivities on this day include visiting holy wells and leaving strips of cloth outside the home overnight to receive Bridget's blessing. Bridget is thought to have died around the year 524, and we are approaching the 1500th anniversary of her death. The historical details of St. Bridget's biography are much debated, but generally Bridget is considered a leader of the early Irish church and a contemporary of other well-known Christian figures such as St. Patrick. Bridget organized religious communities for both men and women throughout Ireland. As the first abbess of Kildare, she founded a powerful monastic institution that went on to have great influence for hundreds of years. Bridget may also have founded a trade school where metalworking and manuscript illumination were taught and renowned works of medieval art such as the Book of Kildare are said to have been created under her leadership. Great miraculous powers have been attributed to Bridget, such as the ability to calm storms with her prayers, and many instances of healing the sick and wounded. Along with Saints Patrick and Columba, she is one of the three national saints of Ireland. She is considered the patron saint of healers, poets, blacksmiths, dairy farming, cattle, midwives, Irish nuns, and newborns. Live storytelling, musical performances, immersive art installations, 
and the screening of a new documentary called Finding Bridget are among the festivities planned for February 2023 in honor of the new national holiday. In January 2023, in a Dominican convent in Toulouse, France, the skull of St. Thomas Aquinas was removed from a sealed box and placed in a newly created reliquary. On the day of the transfer, a mass was celebrated at the church of the convent, followed by a blessing and procession of the relics. These proceedings took place on the 700th anniversary of the saint's canonization. Thomas Aquinas was a 13th century Dominican friar and priest who studied and taught throughout Italy and France. His writing and ideas went on to influence both religious and secular thought for hundreds of years, especially in the areas of philosophy, ethics, and theology. During his lifetime, it was said that he sometimes levitated while in prayer and experienced visions of Mary. Aquinas died in 1274 and was canonized in 1323. He was made a doctor of the church in 1567. His feast day is January 28th. He is considered a patron saint of educators, scholars, pencil makers, and booksellers. The creator of the new reliquary is the artist Augustin Roche, a French sculptor and painter who wrote in French in a statement on social media, Happy New Year to all. For me it begins in the late St. Thomas Aquinas. In photos, the reliquary appears to be a box of gold with small windows through which one can view the relic contained within. Finely painted images of angels decorate the top of the container. The reliquary will now go on to be displayed throughout France and locations abroad. St. Macarius the Great was born around the year 300. Before he became a monk, Macarius was a smuggler, carrying saltpeter across the desert to earn his living. Through this vocation, Macarius learned to travel and survive in the desert wastelands. Abiding his parents' wishes, Macarius was married at a young age. However, his wife died shortly after their wedding and his parents passed soon after his wife. Macarius gave all of his money and possessions to the poor and sought a spiritual teacher. In the desert, outside of his village, Macarius found an elder who became his guide in prayer, meditation, and fasting, as well as the art of basket weaving. Though he was young, Macarius became known for his wisdom. He was dubbed Padaiogerian, a compound word which meant the old young man, meaning he had the wisdom of an elder. Once, a pregnant woman accused Macarius of defiling her. He did not defend himself from these accusations, but remained silent and was considered guilty by many in the village. When it came time to give birth, this woman was met with a long and difficult labor. She was unable to birth her child until she confessed that she had falsely accused Macarius. After this, the people came to Macarius, asking for forgiveness. 
Macarius fled to the Nitrian Desert. Macarius spent the next seven years living only on pulse and raw herbs. Following that, he lived for three years, eating only four or five ounces of bread every day. While living in Nitria, it is said Macarius visited St. Anthony the Great, who was considered the father of monasticism. When he was about 40 years old, Macarius became a priest and moved to the Sedic Desert. His reputation for holiness began to draw many followers to the area, and soon he established a monastery. Macarius presided over this monastery for the rest of his life. It was said that St. Macarius' face glowed with the light of grace. Many reported that his face would glow in darkness, earning him the name of the Glowing Lantern. Once, as Macarius was traveling through the desert, he stopped to spend the night in a pagan sepulcher. He used one of the dead as a pillow. In the middle of the night, devils arose to frighten the monk. One of these beings spoke to the body beneath Macarius' head, saying, Come with me to bathe thee. The corpse replied, I cannot come, for I have a pilgrim lying upon me, and I cannot move. Unafraid, Macarius beat the corpse with his fist and said, Arise and go if you can. The devils realized that the monk could not be frightened, and cried out in one voice, Macarius, thou hast vanquished and overcome us, and they left the monk to sleep. On another occasion, St. Macarius was walking when he found a decapitated head in his path. He addressed the head, asking to whose body it belonged. The head replied, To a pagan. Macarius then asked, And where is thy soul? In hell came the answer. Macarius asked if this soul was very deep in hell, and the head replied, Deeper than the distance from heaven to earth. Macarius then asked if there were any souls beneath him. The head replied again, False Christian men, for they despised and villainized the blood of Jesus Christ, by which they should have been redeemed, so they are tormented so much more. The devil, wielding a massive scythe, came to threaten St. Macarius at his monastery, saying to the monk, Whatever you do, I do better. You fast, and I do not eat at all. You stay awake for prayer, and I never sleep. But there is one contest in which you defeat me. Macarius inquired, What is that? The devil answered, In meekness and humility I cannot prevail against you. For this, the devil would try to take revenge on the monk. Once, Macarius walked alone through the desert for six days. As he walked, he placed reeds in the ground, marking his path so he could find his way back. When Macarius slept on the sixth night, the devil gathered all of the reeds and left them in a bundle at the saint's head. It was only through his knowledge of the desert that Macarius survived and found his way home. A fly once bit St. Macarius, and on instinct he swatted at the insect. Upon seeing the blood, he vowed to make amends and went into the desert naked for months, allowing himself to be bitten by flies. After a dispute over the Nicene Creed, Emperor Valens banished Macarius, along with another Macarius, Macarius of Alexandria, 
to an island in the middle of the Nile, inhabited by pagans. While Macarius was there, the daughter of a pagan priest became ill. The pagans believed that she had become possessed by an evil spirit. Both men, by the name of Macarius, prayed over the girl, who fully recovered. The pagans converted and built a church on the island. When news of this church and the mass conversion reached Emperor Valens, he allowed both men to return from exile. It was said that they were greeted by an assembly of 50,000 monks when they arrived back at the Sedic Desert. St. Macarius died in the year 391. The people of his native village, Shabshir, took his body and built a church in his honor. Pope Michael V of Alexandria returned his relics to the Nitrian Desert, and today his body is found in the monastery of St. Macarius the Great in Egypt. St. Macarius' feast day is January 15th. Sundry Miracles of Our Lady from the Golden Legend A knight, wishing to make amends for his life, went to a Cistercian Abbey to dedicate his life to God. This knight was not well educated and did not know how to write or speak Latin, which was the language of the church at the time. It seemed he could only learn two words, Ave Maria. But these words were imprinted on his heart, and he spoke them wherever he went. When he died, he was buried in the churchyard. Some time later, a white lily grew upon his grave. On every petal, the words Ave Maria appeared, written in gold. All of the monks marveled and wondered at the miracle, and so they opened the tomb. They found the root of the lily came out of the knight's mouth. A lord once dwelt near a highway where many people passed. This lord sent his men to rob any who passed by. However, the same Lord said the Hail Mary every day. One day, a holy man passed his house, and this Lord's men robbed him and treated him unkindly. The holy man said that he wished to speak to the Lord, for he had a secret that would bring him great profit. So the robbers led the holy man to their Lord. The holy man asked all of the Lord's household to be assembled, and the Lord did as he requested. Gazing upon the gathering, the holy man said, They are not all here. There is one who has not yet come. Looking about, they realized the chamberlain was not there. So the Lord sent for him. When the chamberlain entered the room, the holy man said, I conjure you by the virtue of Jesus Christ our Lord. Say who you are and for what cause you have come here. The chamberlain answered, Alas, I am no man but a devil in the form of a man and I have taken this form for twelve years and dwelled in the household. My master sent me here, that I should watch the lord of this house night and day, 
and if ever he forgot to say the Hail Mary, I should strangle him with my own hands and drag his soul to hell. But because he says this prayer every day, I may not take him. When the Lord of the house heard this, he fell at the feet of the holy man and asked pardon for his sins. The holy man then said to the devil, I command you in the name of our Lord to depart and go where you may not grieve or annoy another man. A noble knight dedicated to the Virgin Mary was on a journey to a tournament. Along the way, he passed a monastery and entered to attend Mass. One Mass after another was said, each in honor of Our Lady, and the knight vowed that he would not leave until he had heard all of the services. After the Masses were finished, the knight, much delayed, hurried to the tournament. However, it was too late. He began to meet people returning from the tournament, but all of them praised his riding and his great performance at the event. His friends applauded his skills. Even those who disliked him asserted that he had put on a noble display. Some knights went to him and said that he had defeated them at the tournament. Realizing that Mary had honored him, the knight returned to the monastery and lived the rest of his life in service to our Lord, the Son of the Blessed Virgin. There was a lord who, despite being wealthy, lived far beyond his means. He gave extravagant gifts to all of his friends and found himself enthralled with the high life. He spent his money foolishly and soon found himself quite poor. A great feast approached on which this lord was accustomed to give many gifts to his friends, and he found himself ashamed in his poverty. He journeyed into a deserted wasteland and wept for the loss of his fortune. He stayed there until the day of the feast had passed, so that he would not have to face his friends in embarrassment. Soon, a horrible and fearful-looking knight approached him, riding upon the back of a foul steed. The knight inquired as to why this lord was weeping, and the lord told his story. Hearing the tale, the knight said, If you will obey me, you shall have abundant riches, even more than you had before. The Lord dried his eyes and promised to do what the false knight asked him. The horde being said, Go home to your house, and there you will find gold and silver and precious jewels. However, you must bring me your wife in one year and one day. Returning home, the Lord found everything as the false knight promised. Gold and silver and precious stones which gave the Lord, once again, great wealth. He bought a palace and gave gifts more lavish than before and gathered many friends and servants about him. Soon a year had passed, and he called to his wife, Let us go riding. I want to show you this faraway land. She trembled with fear, sensing something was wrong, but dared not disobey her husband. She commended herself to the Blessed Virgin mounted her horse, and followed after her spouse. As they rode, they came upon a church. 
While his wife went inside to pray to Mary, her husband waited for her outside the church. With fear in her heart, she prayed devoutly until she fell asleep. Mary herself, clothed identically to the wealthy Lord's wife, stepped out and mounted her horse. The Lord did not notice that it wasn't his wife who rode behind him. She slept peacefully in the church. They came to the appointed meeting place, and the horrid knight came toward them at a gallop. Soon, however, the knight began to quake and tremble and stopped his foul steed some distance away. In an evil voice he spat, You most traitorous of all men, why have you deceived me and brought me harm in trade of the great wealth I have given you? I told you to bring your wife, and instead you have brought the mother of God. Your wife in her devotions has injured me many times, and for this I would take my vengeance upon her. But you have brought me torment and a passage to hell. The wealthy lord stood with his mouth open, unable to speak, and began to weep. Mary then said, You fell in spirit. How foolish you are to think to grieve my devout servant. I bind you with this sentence. You shall descend into hell, and from this moment onward you shall trouble no one who calls upon me. The evil knight, revealing his demon form, began howling horribly and fled from the scene. The wealthy lord dismounted and fell at the Blessed Virgin's feet, weeping. Our Lady commanded him to return to his wife, who remained sleeping in the church and cast away all of the riches the demon had bestowed upon him. When the Lord returned to the church, he woke his wife and told her everything that had happened. They threw away all of the devil's gold and silver and precious stones and lived forever after in devotion to the Blessed Virgin. There was a bishop who led a holy and religious life and showed great devotion to St. Andrew above all other saints. Every day the bishop remembered St. Andrew in his prayers. The devil, envious of the bishop's holiness, took the form of a beautiful young woman and came to the bishop's palace. She asked to give confession and the bishop told her to see a priest However, the woman sent word that she could not speak her secrets to any man but the bishop. The bishop relented, and she came to him, saying, Have mercy on me. I am a young maiden of royal birth, but I have put on strange clothes to hide from my father and come to you. My father, the king, would marry me to a prince, but I do not want to be married. I have vowed my virginity to Jesus Christ. I have fled to your guardianship in hope that I can find a place of secret rest, away from the evils and tribulations of the world. The bishop marveled at the young woman's beauty and maturity, that such a young and attractive person would show such a love of God. He said to her, Daughter, be sure and doubt nothing. God shall give you great things. You shall dine with me this evening, and after, you may live in this palace." The young lady said, Father, do not ask this of me, for if I live under your roof, might it cause suspicion and damage to your good reputation? The bishop replied, We will make sure there are always others around, and we shall never be alone together, so that there will be no suspicion. 
The table was set and dinner served, and the bishop gazed upon her great beauty, and as his eyes were fixed upon her, his resolve was cracked. The devil perceived this in the bishop's heart, and so made the form of the girl more and more attractive, until the bishop's mind was turned to sin. Just then, a pilgrim knocked at the gate and disturbed their meal, but they would not answer it. He cried louder and knocked again, more urgently than before, and would not cease until the bishop asked the young woman if they should allow the stranger to enter. She said that the pilgrim should be asked three questions, and if he gave worthy answers, he should be admitted, otherwise he should be turned away. The young woman told a messenger to ask the pilgrim, What is the greatest marvel God made in a little space of time? The messenger took the question to the gate and returned with the pilgrim's answer. The diversity and excellency of the faces of men. For among all men, from the beginning of the world until the end, no two will have faces exactly the same. The bishop and all his household agreed that this indeed was a fine answer to the first question. Next, the young woman said the pilgrim should be asked whether earth or heaven had the highest point. The pilgrim's answer was returned. In heaven, the body of Christ dwells in the form of our flesh, and he is higher than all else. Everyone again agreed that the pilgrim gave a wise and worthy answer. The young woman gave the messenger her final question. Ask this pilgrim how much distance there is from the abyss of hell to heaven. The messenger brought this question to the pilgrim, who replied, Go to him who sent you to me, and ask him this question, for he knows better than I, as he himself measured this space when he fell from heaven into hell. I myself have never measured the distance, this is not a woman who sits at your table, but the devil in a woman's form. The messenger returned with the pilgrim's response. As he spoke those words, everyone was filled with fear, and the devil vanished before their eyes. The bishop came to his senses and repented, weeping bitterly, and asked pardon for his sins. He sent the messenger to bring the pilgrim into the palace but he too had vanished from the gate. The bishop asked his entire household to pray in hopes that God would show the identity of this pilgrim who had delivered him from great peril. That night, the bishop was shown in a dream that the pilgrim was St. Andrew in disguise. From that time forward, the bishop venerated St. Andrew even more than he had before. Some Tales of Demonic Possession from the Golden Legend There was once upon a time a man possessed with a demon. He traveled to the city of Milan, and as he entered the town, the demon left his body. He attended his business in the city, 
And as he left, the demon again entered into him. Asked why he had done this, the demon answered that he was afraid of St. Ambrose. St. Ambrose was the Bishop of Milan from the year 374 to 397. Once a maiden demanded a drink from her father's servant. The servant handed her the cup, saying, The devil sours your drink. As the maiden swallowed the beverage, she felt a fire enter her body. She began to cry, and her belly swelled like a barrel, and all who saw her knew she was possessed. For two years the maiden suffered in this state, until at last she was brought to the tomb of St. Elizabeth, where the fiend left her body, and the maiden was restored to perfect health. St. Dominic was preaching to a group of women who had been convinced of various heresies. The lady said to the saint, Help us see if it is true that we have been deceived. St. Dominic said, Wait here a few moments and be brave and you shall see. After a short time, a horrible cat sprung into their midst. It was bigger than a large dog with flaming eyes and a long, blood-soaked tail. Raising its tail high, the foul entity issued a terrible stench and turned to and fro about the women. The demon cat then dashed to the steeple, climbed the bell rope, and vanished, leaving a cloud of sickening stench in its wake. The ladies thanked God and thereafter converted to the Catholic faith. A man named Roba had lost his money and fine clothes and cried at his misfortune. He lay upon his bed in distress and called upon the devil and gave himself up to evil. Three demons appeared. They threw Roba to the floor and took him by the neck, strangling him so that he could not speak. A cry escaped Roba's lips and the others in his household went to his door The demons answered that they should return to their rooms, but they made their voice sound exactly like Robus, so no one thought there was a problem. When Robus' cries were heard again, a priest was called. The priest invoked the name of St. Peter and demanded that the demons should leave. Two of the demons left immediately, but one held on to its victim. In the morning, his friends brought Roba to a monastery. A monk greeted them by the name of William of Vercelli. William demanded the demon speak its name, and the fiend answered, I am Belsifas. The monk then commanded the demon to leave Roba, and it replied, William, William, I shall not leave for you. This man is ours. He has given himself to us. The monk then invoked the name of St. Peter the Martyr, and the demon left for good. Roba confessed his sins and offered penance and thereafter was a good man.
William of Vercelli, or William of Monte Vergine, was born in the year 1085. He was orphaned at a young age and raised by a relative. At the age of 14, William went on a pilgrimage to Compostela, Spain. On this pilgrimage, he requested a blacksmith to make a circle of iron, which was placed around his body to increase hardship and suffering. William remained in Spain for several years, but returned to Italy sometime around the year 1106. William had intended to leave for Jerusalem, but on his way, in southern Italy, he was beaten and robbed by thieves. Taking his misfortune as a sign from God, William chose to stay in Italy and spread the message of Christ. William lived as a hermit at different locations until, eventually, he established a hermitage at Monte Virginia. He began to attract followers and by 1119 had united all of his disciples under the Benedictine rule as the hermits of Monte Virginia. He also built a church which he dedicated to Our Lady. William was said to have performed several miracles at Monte Virginia. The most famous was during the construction of the church. William was mining the stones and digging the foundation of the church by himself, aided only by a single donkey. One evening, a large wolf came out of the forest, killed and devoured the donkey. When William witnessed the wolf eating his only helper, he ordered it to assume the donkey's work. The wolf, now understanding that he had interfered with God's work, bowed his head and began hauling stone at William's direction. Some say that the spirit of this wolf still prowls around Monte Virgine and will come to the aid of anyone thereabout who, when in danger, calls upon the Virgin Mary. William left the monastery at Monte Virgine and established several other monasteries throughout Naples. However, the only one that remains today is the original. King Roger II of Sicily heard about William and desired to meet the monk. When William visited the court, however, he was mocked for his chastity and aestheticism. A beautiful and wealthy woman named Agnes decided that she would test William's morals and decided to seduce the monk. Agnes came to William's chamber and asked to share his bed, but William spread red-hot coals across the bed and lay down on it. Then he invited Agnes to do the same. Agnes shuddered, turned away, and immediately repented and converted. With William's help, Agnes founded the monastery of Santa Maria della Scala in Venosa. She became the abbess of the monastery and is known today as Blessed Agnes of Venosa. St. William of Vercelli foresaw his own death by special revelation. He died at the monastery in Galetto on June 25, 1142. His remains were moved to Monte Virgine on September 2, 1807. His feast day is June 25th. He is the patron saint of Irpinia.
My sources for this episode, including the sources for the news segment, can be found in the show notes for this episode at thefloweredpath.com. I would like to thank my new patrons, Dory Kendall, Mike Baldwin, Andrew Saltel, and Chris Ishida, and thanks to Christina Landry for the donation. Patrons and donations help me make The Flowered Path. All patrons get the regular episodes of The Flowered Path ad-free, often before they drop on the regular podcast feed. Rose and Orchid Tier patrons also get shout-outs on the show. Orchid Tier patrons get monthly merch mailings. To check out all of the patron options and benefits, and to help me continue to make The Flowered Path, go to patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. You can also find a PayPal link if you want to make a one-time donation. Just click the support button at thefloweredpath.com and look for the PayPal button that says Donate. Please like and subscribe to The Flowered Path wherever you are listening. If you are inclined to leave a nice review, that will help as well. The Flowered Path is on YouTube, so please subscribe to our channel there. And no matter where you listen, if you like what you hear, please share the episodes on social media. You can find The Flowered Path on Facebook, facebook.com slash thefloweredpath, on Instagram at thefloweredpath, and on the web at thefloweredpath.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.